one day down the road, you will be teaching med students or nursing students, and you will share with them the journals of when you were on the front lines of this pandemic. And your the future healthcare professionals are going to say, wow, you were there. We are here. These journals are a gift to a future that we're not even going to be in anymore. But I really feel like all these digital journals are going to be remarkable. So keep them. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I am so grateful that you're here every single week to listen, to learn, and to grow. And I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I can't believe it. My new book, Eight Rules of Love, is out, and I cannot wait to share it with you. I am so, so excited for you to read this book, for you to listen to this book. I read the audiobook. If you haven't got it already, make sure you go to eightrulesoflove.com. It's dedicated to anyone who's trying to find, keep, or let go of love. So if you've got friends that are dating, broken up, or struggling with love, make sure you grab this book. And I'd love to invite you to come and see me for my global tour, Love Rules. Go to jshettytour.com to learn more information about tickets, VIP experiences, and more. I can't wait to see you this year. And I want to give a special thanks to each and every one of you that are listening right now. Because I know right now there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fear, and it's so easy at these times to fall into our bad habits, to go backwards in our lives. And hey, that's okay too. But if you're turning up every single week and you're committing to be here and grow, I promise you that the skills, the techniques, and the approaches that you will learn on this podcast through our incredible guests will help you navigate the noise that you experience throughout your day. If you're here every single week, and I know some of you are listening every single day to an episode, I promise you that that moment of calm, that moment of relaxation, that moment of insight will help you deal with the challenges that are in front of you. Now, today's guest is extremely qualified in supporting and helping us navigate through this troublesome time for each and every one of us. As you all know, her name is Dr. Ramani, and I met her recently, or had the good fortune of meeting her, literally a few weeks back at the Red Table. Both of us were on this episode of Red Table Talk, which if you haven't seen, I highly recommend it, with our dear and mutual friend, Jada Pinkett-Smith, Willow, and Adrian. It was a really powerful conversation, and I took away not only so much insight, but so much deep appreciation for Dr. Ramani. She has an incredible wealth of wisdom and depth of insight, and she is so practical. So I promise you, if you take out the next 45 minutes with us of your day, it will give you so much to help navigate the rest of your days. Dr. Ramani is a licensed clinical psychologist in LA and professor of psychology at California State University. She takes on our modern challenges of entitlement in Don't You Know Who I Am? How to Stay Sane in the Era of Narcissism and Entitlement. And she's the author of You Are Why You Eat, Change Your Food Attitude, change your life. Dr. Ramani, let's welcome her with a very happy, joyous, and powerful on-purpose welcome. Dr. Ramani, thank you for joining me. Jay, thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's, it, is a, it was such a pleasure. I'm glad we had one last moment before the world locked down that we got to meet 
in person. And um, and I look forward to it again. But for now, I'm just happy to hear your voice. So thank you. Absolutely. And, it, and, and I can't wait to have you on the show in the flesh face to face when all of this is over as well. So I very much look forward to that. Uh, you're very welcome on the show. Like I said, I'm, and I'm grateful too. It was literally a day before everything locked down that we got to meet. So literally, yes. there's definitely something special there. And I'm really excited for my community and audience to connect with you today and, and your ideas. And I think the best place to start is I'd love to hear about the multiple challenges you've been experiencing at this time, mm-hmm. because I think that people find that teachers, doctors, leaders, thinkers, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, we often have this view that they don't go through the same things we do. And, and it's a very limiting view. And obviously, we know it's untrue. I was sharing with you earlier that, you know, I've lost two people in my extended community. And granted, I didn't have a direct connection with them. But a lot of my friends and family have been affected by their loss. So I'm dealing with loss through them. I also have around 20 to 25 friends in England who've all had mild to severe symptoms of COVID-19. Granted, they've not been tested, but some of them have have had some really severe symptoms. So tell us about what you've been experiencing at this time on a personal level before we look into some of your great insight and advice. Well, you know, thank you. Thank you so much, first of all, for asking. And I am so sorry for your loss in your community. And it's just a wake-up call that everyone's being affected so differently. So I hope the people in your world are going to recover quickly and, um, you know, and just be able to come back to being fully healthy when this is over. Um, on my, on my side, Jay, it's, 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 it's mixed, you know, in the sense of, and I, I, I intimated this when we were on red table talk It's probably the hardest element of all of this for me is my, my parents live on the East coast and I had actually gone, my mom has a health problem and it's a degenerative health problem. And so we were all ready to go ahead, have her get a surgery at the end of March, early April. And because it's a degenerative condition, it's just going to keep getting worse, but it wasn't considered emergent yet. And so the whole plan, I mean, we all had our plans at the beginning of March, right? I was going to go, I was going to do my work remotely. I was going to go out to the East Coast and fly back and forth for the six months she recovered and on and on and on. And then boom this happened. And so now my mother continues to have this degenerative condition and we're having every day to consider new ways of thinking about making decisions. Ultimately, if she does get that surgery in the next two months, which she may need to get, where once we thought we'd be able to sit at her bedside and be a support and talk to her and read to her and be present to her, she's going to have to go through this alone. And so I think that it's my daily contact with her. Mercifully, she's, she's tough as nails and she really is a wonderful attitude about this, but I can sense her fear. And so I think that her story brings to light what many families are going out are going through around the, out, out there, which is this is the health crisis isn't just about coronavirus. It's about people who have other health issues, cancer, um, cardiac issues, the need for other kinds of surgeries, something like my mom's condition, which is just teetering on whether or not it's going to become an emergency in the next few weeks or not. So just say if there's one thing that keeps me up at night, it's being concerned about her. I got, you know, I've got two daughters and I, you know, I feel for my older daughter is at college and she had to come home. And while that's the story of every single college student in, on the planet, every single one of them is struggling. Like, what is, is this sort of a, a dream halted? And so they're kind of getting back into that. My other daughter in high school had all the fun things you have in high school, the things you're going to do. And again, while this is sort of like, they're going to have to adjust and this is a great place for them to learn resilience. You do see the grief that they go through and they're bored to death and 
you know, and, and try, helping them kind of through the boredom. And I'm working quite a bit. And so I think it's a lot of these issues, being far away, not being able to fix things, worried about my mother, but also so worried about many of my clients who still have the issues that they've always had, Jay. And so it, people who had existing anxiety, this has really multiplied that anxiety. People who had existing relationship problems, they're probably in many ways worse than ever. Um, so I'm seeing those struggles. And then obviously some of the clients I work with are healthcare professionals. So they live in anxiety about their health. Some of my clients have gotten the virus and so their anxieties for their own health and mortality. So it really is, it's opening up so many different things. And um, I'm just trying to get up each day and kind of be the best Romani I can be for everyone I'm, I'm there for. So it's, it's a lot. It, it's a lot. So that, those are a lot of the things I go through. And then and my, some of my own hopes and aspirations, Jay, I'll be frankly, selfishly, I had really spent several years building something up and we had launched it and we're ready to go. And then it all got dismantled. And so there's grief. And I have, that's the only word I can use is that everyone's grieving. That was my grief. And, and I allowed myself to grieve it. instead of saying, no, everyone has it worse. And many people have it much, much worse. This was my loss. And so I grieved that loss and now it's acceptance and figuring out how to, how can we find the jewels and the ashes? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I want to thank you. And first of all, send love to your family and your way. And also just thank you for still showing up in the world, despite having so much to navigate in your own personal life. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with that part first? Like when you're looking at what you're saying and you're, you're spot on that, you know, the healthcare challenge right now is not just people suffering with COVID-19. It's actually people who had surgeries planned and they've been rescheduled or how do you, how are you dealing with that? What is getting you through Mm -hmm. that challenge personally? And I know earlier before when we were speaking, you were talking about being more present and and doing what you can in the day. What are the things that are helping you personally? I have to say that, you know, all the training, all the classes, all the reading I've ever done on mindfulness, what has happened in the last three weeks became a masterclass in, in, in mindfulness because you really had to recognize the absolute sense of powerlessness, which what we always had that powerlessness. You know, I was raised in a Hindu family where the sense of control and, and even any sense of material, anything, but certainly the sense of control is all an illusion. And while I was raised on that philosophically, I don't think I embraced it until the last few weeks. And so it is very much about what can I do in each moment? How can I be present with a client? How can I be present with my child? How can I be present on a conversation with my mother? And you know, one thing we do know, for example, any of us who are feeling anxious and very common in anxious people is, is a, it's like a concept of sort of like fortune telling, like looking into the future. It's always going to be like this and nothing's ever going to get better. And my mom is going to die and all of that. And that's very much a, a symptom and a pattern we see in anxiety. And now I'm catching myself. My mom is here today. My daughter is making breakfast. The cat is walking up the stairs. Like it has literally shifted it for me. Something I really hope and pray remains permanent and for me to really hold on to the illusion of control we ever had in the first place and recognizing that I can be gracefully present in every moment. And instead of sobbing and moaning and wailing, mother checking in. Did she get the cookies I delivered her? You know, did she, what is she doing right now? How is the weather? And we're able to 
in those moments. And so that has been a wake up call for me. So this thing I preached to clients for 20 years, now I'm living 24 seven and it has been a game changer for me because I'm thinking, okay, this is what I have in front of me. And I do my due diligence and I get up and I'm working on my taxes. Like I am focusing on the future, but it's a, um, but there's still very much a being in the moment. I, um, I feel like even though my kids probably wouldn't agree with it, I'm spending more time with them in ways that we never would have at this time. And so there's, there is some beauty that emerges from staying in these moments, even of things like, you know, things like loss of income and those things I'm experiencing right now. I'm like, okay, that's right now I'm able to, I'm able to pay this month's mortgage. We'll think about next month, next month. Yeah, it's really refreshing hearing you say that because like, again, just as we think that leaders and healthcare professionals and thinkers and therapists don't, don't have their own issues, we also think that people don't really sometimes use the skills that they talk about. And, and I think, you know, yeah. it's times like this that prove to us all that these skills really work and that we can continue to use these times to perfect those skills so that when they may be less needed, they're still as useful to us then as they are now. And so thank you for sharing that so openly and vulnerably with us. And again, I'm sending lots of love and prayers to, to you and your family and hoping that anyone who's been affected in that way is also feeling supported and cared for. So let's, let's talk about how a lot of the things that you're helping your clients with, which I think will be a lot of our audience's challenges, what, what are the top three things you're being asked right now by the, by the people, the clients in your life or people in your life that are going through challenges? What are the ones you're seeing as the biggest points of concern for people right now? Here, I'm going to start with an interesting one. And I'm going to tell you, and it's, it's going to catch you by surprise. It's guilt. And the guilt is people saying to me, you know what? I'm okay. Like, uh, you know, we, I've got enough in savings. Now you got to remember, Jay, anyone who's still coming to see me is they're still able to pay the bill, right? So that's mm-hmm. almost a selection bias there. But even that said, like people who have other things going on, they're saying, you know what, I, I'm doing okay. Like so far, no one I know has been gotten sick or if they've gotten sick, it wasn't that severe. I have the people I need to take care of are near me. Um, I'm actually able to do some of my job from home or I'm able to give some attention to my kids. So people are actually, that they want to talk about things that aren't COVID-19. They're like, can we actually talk about my marriage or my divorce or my... And and it's very interesting because it's as though if you aren't talking about the catastrophe in the room, it's somehow some sort of massive betrayal. And so that, that has been fascinating to me. I'm saying, oh no, your pain is always valid in the middle of a calamity or not. And so it is that giving voice that your feelings are your feelings. They're always valid. But in in the day and age we're living in, Jay, it's a little bit hard for people who feel like I can't take my problem to the world. You know, people, again, let's use the example of a high school student. It happens to not be affecting my daughter because she's younger, but like high school students who are losing, I don't know, their senior prom and their graduation. It's not unusual for them to almost feel like they're shamed or something like for that. What are you worried about such a thing when the world is falling apart? And I see my heart aches for them because that is their grief and it is very real. And now if somebody's silencing them, they're not only feeling the grief, but now they're feeling guilt and shame for actually trying to bring that feeling in. So, so number one is this sort of interesting, complex form of guilt, shame, you know, issues. You're so, so right about that. And, and I remember when we were speaking about this, we were talking about how 
what ends up happening is that we feel guilty and then we reflect that guilt onto others and make them feel guilty of how they're dealing with it. Or we judge ourselves and then we're judging how others or people are dealing with yes. it, reacting yes. to it, responding yes. to it. And yes. so our judgment and guilt becomes everyone else's judgment and guilt. And like you said, that becomes really, makes us feel disconnected from everyone rather than yes. connected through our pain. Our, yes. Actually making our pain disconnect us. Yes. And, yes. and what I love about what you say and, and what I've been really thinking about is that we shouldn't really belittle anyone's pain. We shouldn't really uh, make anyone's grief feel, le- feel less than. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that sometimes that's a really hard concept to understand because people feel, well, you know, that kid missing their prom, that's different to someone losing someone who's suffering with COVID-19, for example. And the truth is it is different, but your point is that you should still allow that person to mourn their loss. I remember yes. you saying that. Yes, and, and it really goes to sort of like that, that second point, which will build on this first point, which is grief, right? So we're well, going back to that idea of not, you know, of people allowing themselves to feel what they feel, because I think we're all having this moment. And, and, and it's also, again, it's a two-way street, Jay. There's a, the part of the person who is upset because they lost, I don't know, there's an opportunity or a, a vacation or a prom or wedding or any of these things that were significant to them that now they can't do, right? And so they're having their experience and they sort of feel guilty or embarrassed that they're, they're grousing over this thing that may be seemingly small when there's so much going wrong in the world. On the flip side of that, though, that we may sometimes lose patience with people who are saying those things, right? Mm-hmm. And both of those sides of the equation, Jay, are human. And I really want people to sort of hold on to their humanness. So what may be going through your mind is, Okay, so you're, you know, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's still talking about whatever it is, their vacation or something like that. And you're getting frustrated. That's also very normal and human, especially if you're experiencing things like job loss, concerns about uh, sick family members, or whatever is happening in your world that's your world, that it's also okay to have that human reaction. So it's really where the mindfulness comes in is that maybe catch yourself before you say something to them, like, why don't you just keep your mouth shut about your problems? Nobody cares. But maybe say, you know, I am, I'm so sorry this happening. And then allow yourself maybe to step away from the situation until maybe you can get your head around empathically what might be happening for them. So this is what I'm saying is that this is so complex because we may be grieving, we may be losing patience with other people, and all of it, all of it makes sense. And so I think we're all sort of collectively walking on some eggshells here as we try to figure all of this out and add to that the insult to injury that we're all quarantined and stuck inside with each other. So the breathers we once got by going to work, going to school, going to the gym, all of that's gone too. So people are just, all of this stuff is colliding. And another place it's almost happening in a bit of a mean-spirited way that concerns me is media where people might actually share an agony or a grief or a despair they're having. And other people in that space may actually be shutting them down. Oh, do you really think we care about your stupid, I don't know, prom or party when the world is falling apart? And I just put my head in my hands when I see that happen. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't good. And so that's why I'm saying that this is such a complex space. But for my clients, when I'm working one-on-one, it's really that guilt of, is my problem really that big a deal? And the short answer to that is yes, it is. Yeah, that's that's a really important point. I want everyone listening to take that, that whatever pain you're going through, whatever you're experiencing, uh, 
Give yourself the time to feel the loss. It yeah. may take you an hour, it may take you a day, whatever it is for you, dependent on the scale of the challenge that you're feeling and the perspective you have of it, don't then enhance the pain by adding guilt and judgment to it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that's just increasing it and giving you more to have to heal later yeah. on. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and so that goes quite the second thing I'm really seeing is is a lot of grief. You know, it is opportunities lost, it's things taking a different direction. Is am I going to be able to go back to school, to this, what is my workplace going to look like? What have I lost? And everyone has lost something. None of our lives look the same as they did three weeks ago. And those losses are on a continuum. For some people, they're actually catastrophic losses. They've actually lost the lives of people they love and no longer in their life. And then, you know, also they've lost all the sources of income for their family. And then for others, it may be losses of opportunity, but all of that is grief. And we often only use the word grief, Jay, for death. You know, somebody dies and that's just one of the many losses we can experience. But the grief reaction is very much a psychological cascade we experience. We've been experiencing it since we've been human beings. It's just what we do. And it is a very real experience. And I think that people feel funny saying, well, grief, you don't have grief because you lost X or Y. That's not a a living person. You say, yeah, you do. And so it's giving people permission to go through the stages of grief and be very, very sort of gentle with themselves, which is what we would do. If somebody dear to us died, we would probably not work for a little while. We would probably sleep a bit more. We might give ourselves more time alone and more private space or time to talk to each other. The things we might do under the grief of the loss of a person, someone dying, and I think people almost feel like they should be doing so much and that how dare they grieve? Nobody's dead. And I think by doing that, they're, they're cutting short a really important emotional experience of letting go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I can agree with you more. And I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because you're so right. That's, that's where the challenges come. Were there any more or were they the key ones? I would say then, you know, probably the third is everything that coalesces around this concept of anxiety, things like loss of control, how to cope with uncertainty, how to deal with your thoughts being distracted. And that all relates to a big piece, like a concrete piece of this is people are getting angry at themselves for not being productive enough. Like my whole house should be painted and cleaned (laughs) and alphabetized. And I want to tell people that we're actually spending a lot of our mental bandwidth right now, getting our heads around this situation. So people might feel like, how did another 14 hour day pass? And I still have dishes in the sink and I still haven't done all the things I thought I would do because I'm stuck at home. I'm trying to explain to them that there's a whole part of your brain right now that's literally spending a lot of bandwidth, like saying, okay, exactly what's happening there. I mean, because our ability to estimate threat right now is a little bit off because in one hand, we're being told you can't leave your house. You've got to wear a mask. You've got to constantly wash your hands because there's a threat in the environment, something that can make us and the people we care about sick. And so our threat, our threat monitors are, are running higher. And when that happens, you almost need to think about your brain as like, like your house with the internet, like all these people are running devices. So the bandwidth is not as good. So things are taking longer. It's the same thing with your brain. We have less bandwidth. So we're getting more mentally and psychologically fatigued. 
We're not as efficient. And I think a lot of people are really being hard on themselves for not being productive. And I want to explain to them, you have this whole other thing your brain's doing right now that it wasn't doing a month ago. So be kinder, be kinder to yourself. And self-compassion is everything. But I'm noticing some of my clients getting frustrated, like, I'm so lazy because I'm just staring out the window. And I'm thinking, actually, no, you're not. Staring out the window is actually the best thing that they could be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always that balance of, you know, it's knowing how much space to give yourself to, to deal with something and then knowing you want to get going on something. You know, I've had a lot of friends, you know, I have a very organized morning routine that gives me a lot of certainty. It lets me ground in the day, it then helps me get on with my day. And then as the day progresses, I allow myself to also uh, let go a little and like yeah. I'm making sure that I'm having game night or movie night with my friends, mm-hmm. or, you know, virtually, I mean, or, you know, mm-hmm. with my wife, etc. trying to find ways to create more social experiences. But I feel like my mornings are very organized where I'm yeah. very productive and effective. And then throughout, and as the day goes, I allow myself, you know, I wouldn't usually be doing that every night of the week, but seeing as we're all indoors all the time, I'm right. like, not have a game night or a movie night or a whatever it is that I want to do in the evenings, which allows me to have that social connection. What are some, okay. of, what are some of the things that you think people can do mm-hmm. now that we've been in this space for about, for most people could be up to three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things now that we've had somewhat of an adjustment period that you think people can start doing to help them feel like they're growing or moving forward Mm -hmm. or feeling like there's some sort of certainty at this time? Is there anything that people can do? Is that even the right thing to aim for? I think that yes, it, there there is. I think you you just nailed it, which is routine, and you know, and routine can be things big and small. You know, I was working recently with a client who was literally trying to create a routine at home for her and her kids, hour by hour, and she had these massive whiteboards all over her house. And what was happening though? She was getting very fretful when that that hour by hour by hour thing couldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? So like, oh my goodness, we should already. It's almost like she was trying to make the whole school in the house. Like we should be going to this class now, we should be doing this. And I think that there's a danger in getting too overly scheduled, saying like at 10 a.m. I need to be doing this, 1 p.m. I need to be doing this. No, I think routine is something that is almost like a series of steps that you know that, that especially on the front end of the day, that's critical. Now that's going to be different for everyone. Some people it's meditation, some people might be taking a walk, might be their coffee, might be they read the newspaper or news on the on the computer, whatever it is, that it's expectable and it's predictable and it's it's something that you, you sort of set something into place. Beyond that, I've been telling people, before you get too stuck on time, like at 10 a.m. I need to do this and 2 p.m. I need to do that. I do tell people, as you part of your routine today, set those three, maybe four things, three to five is the five would say is the max, things that you want to get done today. And that could be fold the laundry, change the bed sheets, um, write the blog, uh, get your papers graded, whatever it is, depending on what it is you do get your kid through, you know, talk about the book that your child's supposed to read for school. You've got those five things you you want to get done. And frankly, as you get those ticked off, you might get them all done by noon and then give yourself the time and space. Other things may get explored at that point. So routine to me is really, really huge. And to all of us out there doing this work, 
It's routine, routine, routine. Number two is some form of activity. And whether that is taking a walk around the block, walking up and down, if you have even like a little strip of sidewalk in front of your house, if you have a treadmill and there's yoga videos, something, anything. I mean, it's amazing how there's even dance classes now online. If you have enough room in your living room that you could just turn it on and then just follow the dance routines. Like there's so much stuff out there. Move your body somehow. Get outside if you can. It's raining in Los Angeles today as we do this. But you know, even if there's a momentary break, if you can get outside, that would be great. If you can't, definitely try and move your body. And number three is to distract Jay. I mean, and I would tell everyone out there, and it could be sort of fun, make your list of 10, 20, 30. In fact, somebody, I was, people in my field, we're circulating all these documents now to help our clients. Somebody sent me a list of 74 distractors, which are great. I'm, I'm circulating them. Can you tell us some of them? Can you? Can yeah, you yeah. In fact, I have the list in front of me. It's just oh, such great. a great. Yeah, tell us some of your favorite ones. Because so many of them, wait. So let me give you some of the, because literally 74 things on this list are things like, um, you know, uh, watch a documentary, um, color, like, you know, do coloring, like a child would color a coloring book, um, do a jigsaw puzzle, uh, find a new podcast to listen to, or keep listening to Jay's podcast. Um, you know, uh, go online and take a free drawing class. Um, you know, make a list of all the birthdays of the people, you know, put them in your calendar and those that are coming up, send them cards. Um, uh, take on like if there's a wall in your house you want to paint, paint it. Watch TED Talks. Um, play a board game. Start a journal of your dreams because we're all actually dreaming a bit more right now. Bake something mm-hmm. even if you just you know eat half of it. Um, uh, find a pen pal. Start writing actual hard copy letters to somebody again. Um, you know, I mean, it's like listen to some new music you've never listened to before. Do the things you're saying like do Netflix online with friends and watch movies with them and virtual game nights. So, I mean, it's on and on and on. It's things like this, that if you have a list of those things for you, I mean, for me, it's the silliest things. It's like, I'm trying to file ancient papers and get rid of them. <laughs> so that's my little break. And I have a little room in my house. that has got a TV in it. And so I'll go and watch a silly TV show. I'm also telling people like, be, um, be judicious in what you watch. Like some people are, first of all, cut out from the news, like give yourself your news time, like maybe 20 Twice a day, 10 to 12 hours separated, like a morning little news hit, an afternoon news hit, and then you're done and watch something else. You know, comedies are great right now because the distraction, I'm, I'm watching a comedy that was set at a different time in history now. And it is beautiful to watch the costumes and the settings that I get so lost in it that 45 minutes after, you now I've watched the show and the 45 minutes have gone. I'm like, wow, that was really an escape for me because it was just so, and everyone's close together. Like they're always in these rooms and there's lots of people and there's something sort of nostalgic now of watching yeah. people in a room. So I think everyone's got to figure that out. And I think in some ways making kind of fun because then you can figure out which one you're going to do. Because what you'll find is human beings really do reboot and they do reboot pretty well. And that's what we're talking about, severe paralyzing anxiety. That's a different conversation where I would actually say that that's a point where someone needs mental health, you know, kind of uh, some sort of um, 
uh, intervention for what a lot of us are going through. It's just breaking out of it. Yesterday, my daughter was a great example. She got some really bad news having to relate to school and where she lives. And she was quite upset about it. And there was absolutely nothing, Jerry, nothing that could have been done at that moment. And you know what she said? She's like, you know what? I'm just going to jump in the car and I'm going to take a long drive, you know? And Mm. she did. And she did. And she came back better. You know, so it was in that moment she knew that was what worked for her. Yeah. You know, I, my other daughter was so frustrated because I wouldn't spend time with her yesterday. And she found some strange little canvas where she made a painting of a llama. And it was a beautiful little painting she made. And, and she even made a little video of herself doing it. So our kids are figuring it out. We're figuring it out. And then she seemed to be in better spirits after it was done. So we've got to distract. So that the, the routines, the distraction, movement turning off the news, and also social interaction. We have got to connect. You're doing it through your game nights, Jay, and, and your movie nights. Um, you know, I'm doing it with the family in my house. I'm talking to friends. You can talk on the phone. You can talk via FaceTime or Skype or Zoom or whatever floats your boat. But stay in touch with people because it's really easy to kind of get your let your head go into a dark alley. Some people are still having lots of meetings with people they work with. But, um, you know, just make sure you keep having contact with people. It, that's really critical. We're a social species. And without that social contact, we don't do as well. Some of us do. I'm an introvert. So I have to tell you, this isn't that hard for me, but I still miss people. And I feel happy that there's people I can pick up the phone and call. Yeah, absolutely. These are such great tips. And I love the fact that distraction is being recommended because I think oh, people yeah. are yeah, yeah. distracted mm-hmm. right now. I think there's a big fear around, oh my God, I get too distracted. And it's like, Good. well, you know, none of us have ever been through this before. It's not like someone had a plan up their sleeve of how to deal with this. Uh-uh. And you can't expect yourself to have that. I know for me, some of the things that I like to do to distract myself and I recommend to people is I've been reorganizing my bookshelf and mm. I discovered three or four books that I've n- never seen. <laughs> I can't even remember yeah. if I bought them and gifted them. And they've been such great books. And mm. I'll just tell people the titles just because they're good. One called the Book of Questions. It's literally just got it's really good. Two hundred ninety yeah. reflection questions, uh, which are really interesting. I will just flick through one and read one right now. I'd love to hear your take on it. Let's <laughs> let's see if there's some of these questions are useful or not. Uh, what could someone figure out about you by the friends you've chosen? <laughs> yes. and, you know, and and I would say read them with a light heart, not yep. not don't take them too seriously, and then. There's another book that I got called Do One Thing Every Day That Centers You. And it's yep. called A Mindfulness Journal. And it's just these types of things are just a great way to distract. Another one that I love is making a photo gallery of yes. looking through all the 67,328 pictures you have in your photo gallery on your phone and reorganizing them into folders and reorganizing them into memories and yes. sending them to your family that you miss and you know, watching a slideshow together and having like a reveal party or a premiere of it together, like across the world. Like I think getting creative right now in as a distraction is such a fun thing to do and and not feeling like it has to be achievement based, but it can be relationship. I love that because also it's in, and it is, again, there's a lot of spontaneous moments coming up. I office out again, same thing. My daughter found an old box of photos and for 45 minutes, she'd hold up a picture, especially ones of her infancy or her sister's infancy, and tell me about this time. And it led to conversation. I know we never would have made the time to have that box would have stayed buried. So 
all of these things that foster connection, that foster mental activity. I'm a huge fan of reading right now, or maybe listening to audiobooks, but I love the idea of reading because it really does. It allows your mind to wander, especially fiction. I am, I love fiction and I don't make enough time for it. And I'm reading a book now and you get lost in trying to create the imagery in your mind and all of that. So I do think that those distractions are out there. I do understand many people feel very paralyzed in the face of all of this because I, you know, and they, the anxiety is overwhelming. And I also know like one of the biggest struggles is for people who are trying to balance both working at home and um, managing children, and especially smaller children who do need to be supervised. And I know there's a fair amount of fatigue there. So I'm also telling people, just be kind to yourself. You know, like sometimes all they just want to be in the same silly room as you. And it may be you're watching their TV show, but you've got a book on your lap or something like that. So it's there, there's a lot of interesting opportunities for here for how we, you know, consider our our human relationships. But again, I am acknowledging that even as I say all of this, it's not going to work for everyone. I don't know that there's one magical strategy that's working for everyone. And one thing you brought up, Jay, on Red Table Talk, when we were talking to Adrian, you brought up the idea of journaling. And I actually thought about that a lot after you made that comment. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm really making the suggestion, I always have, but I'm making it more strongly to people, this idea of journaling. And I'm saying to them, here's where the journaling is going to get interesting now. Imagine if you had the journals of like a grandparent or great grandparent from the Great Depression. All of us right now have the opportunity to write these things that whether they're our grandchildren or great grandchildren or other family members are going to open these one day and say, Oh, that would be incredible. is our granny's journal from the coronavirus pandemic. And they, I mean, you have to think of this as a gift down the road because I know for me, when I've had the opportunity in India, especially to talk to my own grandmother before she passed, hearing her stories and spoken in Telugu in our, our native language, it honestly was one of the most profound experiences of my life to understand where it is I've come from as an Indian woman, how much of a shift there's been in the world, her stories, what she in essence had and didn't have, what I have as a result of that, it changed my perspective forever. It changed my level of meaning and purpose in a permanent way. These journals in a way that we keep now will be that pay it forward. And the group I started doing this with my clients were healthcare providers. I said, one day down the road, you will be teaching med students or nursing students, and you will share with them the journals of when you were on the front lines of this pandemic. And your the future healthcare professionals are going to say, wow, you were there. We are here. These journals are a gift to a future that we're not even going to be in anymore. But I really feel like all these digital journals are going to be remarkable. So keep them. Because even if it's just to sit one day with a potential grandchild or grandniece or someone, they this will be the greatest gift you could ever give them. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just incredible. I love that. And it also lets us live with deeper meaning mm-hmm. for how this will impact people in the future. Yes, yes. And, and so I think there's so much greatness in that. I, I absolutely love that idea. One of the other things that I wanted to dive into more that you mentioned at the Red Table as well is that you were talking a lot about how people right now may be struggling financially and economically can mm-hmm. can process that. And I thought that it's important to touch on that because a lot of people, including yourself, including me, I've had things that have been pushed back. Uh, I know plenty of people in my life who've had things that have been pushed back or couldn't launch or are, are delayed and delayed indefinitely. What, what do you say? And, and I'm not asking it from an entrepreneurship or business mind. I'm, I'm looking at it from the mind and 
a psychology question like how how do you deal with specifically financial loss and and what are good ways to work through that right now yeah to me jay the financial losses are some of the most profound here because they are it's not just a loss of i mean real things like material things like i got to pay the rent i got to keep the lights on i got to buy the food but also it's a loss of identity I mean, it's people's jobs are a big part of who they are. That identity of getting up in the morning and getting on the bus or getting in the car, or however, walking, however it is you get to the office, that whole moment in the day, while it's sort of nice to work in your sweatpants from time to time, there's a loss of identity when you don't. So I think that what we've got to understand, this isn't just about not being able to pay the bills, so that's an enormous part of it. It's also this sense of who am I? Like, who, who, what do I, what am I about? Like, what do I even stand for if I'm not going to my job? And so I think that, you know, putting aside that the, the financial planning and the numerous resources that people are putting out there, how are you going to file, filing for an unemployment and paying your bills and how all that's going to work? I'm going to defer that to people and all the websites out there that are starting to handle that. But it is this sense of grief, loss tremendous anxiety and uncertainty that is actually what people are very much ruminating about. A lot of these other things also matter, even with things like the routine. What's been really interesting for me, Jay, is I've worked with numerous clients who started new jobs in the last three weeks, like brand new jobs, like, you know, employee orientation online and people are hiring, you know, so it's like there are these, you know, it's a strange time that we think it's all shutting down, but what is it like they said with 17 like such an enormous, like 17 million or something like that, people have filed for unemployment, something we've never seen before. But this is above and beyond the financial. It's the loss of identity. And, and even identity as being a provider or a person who does get, you know, model a work ethic and, you know, provides for family and does all that, losing some of those identities and the fears around that as well. I think a lot of it is to know you're not alone. I think when people go through this many times, they are alone. They're the one person who's lost a job and their friends have kept theirs, that there's a large group of people for whom this is happening and the uncertainty and the fear and the grief is normal. It's also catching yourself again, get, bringing it back to the present worrying about it is not going to put more money in your pocket, but what are the things you can be doing now in terms of applying for new jobs or how do you have to reconfigure your family's finances? And also how can you distract? How can you create other things you do during the day that help you feel like you're being what we call a getting stuff done. But it is, this is the grief around the money. I'm going to be frank with you. It's going to be more than the grief and the money, career, safety, financial safety, all of that is probably going to be greater than the grief around this whole pandemic and the illness part of it, because that's life. That's the stuff of life. And it's for some people, it's businesses they've tried to build over years and, or have built over years and now are not launching. So it's a, um, it's a, that's a collective trauma and a collective grief. There's some comfort in it, but it's also very, very heavy. And there's no quick fix on that. Then, uh, then again, a lot of the stuff we talked about routine, distraction, staying in the moment, um, you know, and then for some people, this is going to end up being, Jay, a real reinvention. Like how, how can I be, do me differently? Can I do what I do in a very different way? And yeah. you know, so a lot of us having to think like, as I'm a college professor, when we go back in the fall, because I've been on a one-year sabbatical, it is beginning to hit me. I may, and my colleagues have all had to do this already. They've all had to go fully online. It works for some people. It doesn't work for others. My partner is, a, is he's a art professor who teaches sculpture. He's like, I am not sure how to teach sculpture, you know, on a yeah. camera, you know, so he's doing it video chats and they're doing the best they can, but we are all 
reinvent ourselves. And, and I look at all the K through 12 teachers who are doing the heroic work of trying to create take home curriculum. And my, my daughter's high school teachers are doing really amazing, amazing things. And, you know, everyone's learning something new. That's the wake up call. We all, we're going, we're going into a new future together. And I think it's the together part and um, turning to others who are going through what you're going through is critical. It's critical. And and I'm sure you see this the most. These are everything you're saying is, is everyone, I hope you're listening. I hope you're, I hope you're taking a few notes. I hope you're going to try one of those 70 distraction activities that we heard. I think, you know, one of the challenges we have is that we're always like, okay, this is the new normal. And, and my question to that always is, what is normal? Because, right. you right. know, normal isn't necessarily a good thing. And there wasn't, nothing was ever really normal because things were always changing. And this is obviously something bigger that we're all worried about, but there was something we were worried about anyway before. And so it's almost like wanting things to go back to being the same doesn't right. ever make sense because no. nothing ever is the same. Like nothing ever goes back to right. it. Could you help explain that from a psychological perspective around yes. how I think we know that the only thing consistent is change and uncertainty, yes. but we have this attachment to normalcy. We felt safe when we had routines because we knew where the predators were. We knew where the threats were. We created a, our safeties around familiarity. Anything unfamiliar represented something dangerous or a threat. Now, while our brains at some level have evolved past that, not entirely. It's why we might react very tentatively with a stranger. Same thing. So it's now, and it's why many people just run to the familiar. Even when the familiar is dysfunctional, they will go back to the familiar because it, it, it is just that. It is a huge phase shift to help people the idea that familiar isn't the only way you can break out of routine. You can break out of the familiar, but it's not what our brains are wired to do. I don't know if you've ever read Rick Hansen's book, Buddha's Brain. If you haven't, that might be another good quarantine book for you to read because it's top flight book. Because what Hansen argues in this book is that, you know, our, our, our minds, our memories are very much oriented to remembering the stuff that keeps us safe. Yes. And that's Stuff is largely not good. It's like, where does the tiger live? Where's the poisonous berry? You know, where, you know, here comes another bill. Here comes a notice from the IRS, like threat, 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 threat. Because we're, we're focused on those things again, because our brains are designed to, to keep our little organism intact, right? He argues that it takes a, a intentional work to change our orientation to joy. You know, or even to me, I'd argue even beyond joy is meaning. How do we keep orienting ourselves to meaning, 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 meaning? That's everything. I think we talk too much about happiness. It's really about meaning. And meaning isn't always blissful happiness, but it's something bigger to me. And so I think it's reorienting the brain. And this to me, people spend hours in the gym trying to work their bodies in a new way to get that new muscle. I am telling you, go to that gym that is for your mind and do that same kind of resistance training with your brain. Like figure out a way to orient in a different way. Routine isn't always good. And in fact, this is the first time at an entire global population level, we're learning we're going to have to change routine completely. And it's a, and listen, this has happened in history before. It's happened during wars. It's happened during the Great Depression. We've been here before as a species. Yes. 
The yeah. problem is this is all so spaced out that we don't always learn. And I have to say that any of us who've had parents who are immigrants or migrants or refugees of any kind, we saw them do that. Like I yeah. saw that in my what my parents had to go through to immigrate to the United States. It wasn't easy. There was no FaceTime. There wasn't even phone calls. You could <laughs> I saw that they had to go, they had to literally flip a life. And so I think all of us in our worlds have somebody who completely flipped a life and left an entire old one behind. My advice to everyone is figure out who that person is in your world. It may be a grandparent, maybe an aunt, it may be an uncle, it may be someone older, you know, talk to them and figure out how they went and they literally turned their life 180 degrees. And Jay, it doesn't just have to be someone older than you. I truly believe at this time in history, one of the groups of people who gets this better than anyone is anyone who survived trauma. Because anyone who is a trauma survivor knows what life feels like. You're living your life, you're living your life, an event or a series of events happens and your life will never be the same again. And a trauma survivor in some ways had it more difficult because they're the only ones often who are a very small group survived that. And they're like, oh my gosh, my life has completely changed but other stuff hasn't. We at least are all going through this trauma together, but trauma survivors get what it's like to have a life and not have that life anymore and now have to go through a very, very different world that is specific to them. So we can do this. People do this all the time. We just have to, we we just, you have to understand we can do this. You can re, you can reinvent, you can do things differently. And, and this is a call to arms. This is a real call to arms. For sure. No, I, I think you're spot on. And I want you to know that if you could see me, I'm like nodding away right now. <laughs> uh, I'm just completely, in, you know, this is exactly what we need to try and try and do. Now, tell me about, tell me about what's happening with people who unfortunately this time fall back into their default old habits, whether that's alcohol or whether it's an addiction or a drug or even, even going back to an ex-boyfriend or a girlfriend at least. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think these kind of scenarios shock us into our past. Like they just take us back into, again, what Thich Nhat Hanh would call familiar pain versus unfamiliar pain. And we go back to that familiar pain because the unfamiliar pain of being alone or dealing with this new challenge is, feels too big to bear. How does someone process themselves feeling like they're going back to a toxic relationship or going back to a, uh, a toxic habit? Well, so again, a lot of the going back, the going back to the toxic habit, going back to the unhealthy relationship is strangely and paradoxically an attempt at getting control because the devil, you know, is at least something, you know, and at a time when everything is so uncertain, we're going back to the things we know, even when they're things that are not good for us, there's comfort, you know, whether it's comfort food and comfort dysfunction, (laughs) we go back to we go back to comfort. So, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was reading a, a, a workbook this morning that I'm using with clients. And um, there was, they had this wonderful quote by the, I think, Roman philosopher, Epictetus. And he says, what assistance can we find in the fight against habit? Try the opposite. Yeah. And again, it goes back to some <laughs> training I'm talking about is do the opposite you know, of what you usually do. And that becomes like, oh, I usually do this oh, for fun. Let me try to go. So you always go left, fake right. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I really want everyone to, um, it's, and now we have a little bit of the, the time and the stuckness to play with the oppositeness. Part of it is to catch yourself and say, oh, this is how I usually do it. 
All right, what does the opposite feel like? Because to understand that what you're doing is you're getting drifted into that familiar lane because it is a way to have a sense of control and predictability because even dysfunction is predictable. But it is mindfulness to be aware of what it is you're doing. It's thinking to know that this is you're going to end up in exactly the same place as you did before. And then third, action is to try the opposite, to do something different. And sometimes doing the opposite and doing something different is, is not sometimes, always, is uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, and so it's also learning. Discomfort is part of the journey. And that if you can find meaning and purpose in that that discomfort, it will make more sense. Like, oh yeah, this is uncomfortable, but I'm trying the opposite. I'm breaking out of a cycle. I have always, I, my quest, my meaning, my purpose is to, I've been wanting to break out of my dysfunctional cycles. I've been wanting to try a new path. And I have to say again, Jay, for many people out there, this is going to be the slap across the face for people who say, to heck with it. I'm going back to community college. I'm going to work towards getting that degree why I've lost everything else now. Why not finally think about starting that my own business or moving here when the borders finally open to here, there or everywhere. I think a lot of people are having some wake up calls like, wow, if it could be taken away this quickly, maybe I need to sort of view this as a call to arms, but that means doing the opposite. And that oppositeness is really sort of an interesting place for people to play around with right now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you. And, and I think, yeah, like you said, knowing that, for the first time, we can really feel like we're in something together. Mm-hmm. The whole world, right? It's like it's, there's never been many things that people could all say, we're all a part of this, we're all experiencing it. And now's the biggest time to realize that there is meaning and purpose in that because Absolutely. that purpose connects all of us and affects all of us. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unique to truly feel understood mm-hmm. Whereas now, on every different level, there are plenty of people who can understand exactly what you're yes. going through. Yes. And so I think our, our need to feel understood for the first time is, is really something that we should exercise, where we can share with people that are close to us, that we love, that love us, and feel understood. Tell us about uh, relationships. And we, we talked about this bit on Red Table Talk, but you know, with so many people spending so much more time together, Mm-hmm. What are some of the positive practices that couples and relationships can take on? Because I also feel just like you and, you know, where this podcast started, there are a lot of people who currently are carrying everyone else. Yes. How do we help those carriers in our homes, whether it's the mother or father that does all the cooking, the cleaning, the teaching the kids their curriculum, whoever's carrying that, how do we help the carrier, even if we're not the carrier? And, and how can we ease our relationships at this time? So I think there's two levels of that. I mean, one is within the household, right? So if you're in, if you're actually in a household with people and you, somebody's taking on the burden of something, step in, you know, step in. And, and that also means for the people who are doing, all, taking on the burden, you got to let people in. So some people are saying, well, this is ridiculous. If I let them into the kitchen, if I let the kids into the kitchen to help make dinner, they're going to make a mess. Let them make a mess. Let them learn to take that, help take that responsibility. And it may be that you're eating some not great spaghetti, but they learned at that point, they wanted to help, let them help. I think that we've got to let our helpers in, number one. Um, Number two, if you are somebody who's doing a lot of this work, and and it might be just because developmentally where the people in your home are, they can't help as much, or they're they're choosing not to help or whatever, is that then you've got to take care of you. 
Like you've got to give yourself that point. Like I'm putting my feet up for a minute and you've got to give yourself that permission. Give yourself the time to take a break. Now, if you're, if you're reflecting, you care about, let's say it's your friend across the country who you know is stuck at home with their three kids or is taking care of elderly family members and keeping them safe or is having to drive around and dropping groceries, whatever their, their stories are, their first responder or their healthcare professional, and you want to be there for them, but you can't because you can't physically get to them and help them. Call them. Send them text messages. Say, you're amazing. I see all that you're doing. You know, you're a hero, hero to me. I wish I could help more, but if there's anything I can do remotely, like, but just letting them know, I see how amazing you are. I see what you're doing. Like you said, all that anybody wants is to be understood. And even if many people can keep carrying their heavy, heavy burdens, if they know there's someone bearing witness. And I think that we all, every single person on the planet right now should be rallying to bear witness to those around us in any number of ways. If you're going into the grocery store, you offer a kind word to the clerk who is putting themselves at risk to be there. If your friend is a first responder, you just tell them, I love you. Thank you for all you're doing. Please be safe. What, whoever you reach out to in your life, your friend who's homeschooling three kids right now, you say, girl, you are my hero. And if, if there's anything I can do, maybe I can zoom in and teach your kids history. I'll do that for you. But we all have ways we can care for our carers, but it means we have to jump out of our own heads long enough to recognize that people around us need something. Sometimes it's just sort of a, a smile. Thanks for being there. Now, back to your original question, Jay, of relationships. When it comes to intimate relationships, one thing that people can really learn right now is now that we're all in proximity is take that minute and say thank you. Take notice of something someone's done. Work on more clear communication. Now, you know my space I work in this is very unique. I work with difficult, antagonistic, narcissistic relationships. There, um, that's, a diff- that's a different episode. That's a different day because obviously those things are getting more and more toxic by the day. But for relationships that do have good bones, you can keep those good bones, but you're going to have to be more aware. Just let your partner know, I see what you're doing. Thank you. You know, thanks for helping. How can I help you with the other people in your home? I know, okay, listen, I got two adolescent daughters and there are times I just want to scream, but I have to take a step back and say, they're so frustrated that they can't see their friends and do the things that teenagers do. And when I catch myself, I can say, I am so sorry. I know this are, and I'm working all the time. So they're frustrated that I'm not available. And instead of saying, you know, wanting to scream at them saying, hey, I'm making money for the family. And I want to screech at them. Instead, I have to catch myself and say, you know, they're going through their process and say, how can I help? And maybe it's just, I cuddle under their comforter and watch these ridiculous TikTok videos. They watch me. Not what I want to be doing with my time, but it's what they need. And so it's giving them what they need to help them go do the next thing that they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm again, this is, such valuable insight right now because encouraging people to to serve and support anyone you know i think sometimes we see services raising a million dollars or raising a hundred thousand dollars or you know or impacting thousands of lives and actually it's just about that one smile it's just about that one phone call and that one person and and i think now's the time to re-encourage that that community tribe vibe where you have certain parents who will help with the education, others who will help with food delivery, you know, whatever it is, like ways in which we can support each other right now. And, and actually what I find is that service helps us find meaning and purpose. Yes. Because right now when we're like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. I don't know how I feel useful or accomplished every day. When you make someone smile or when you make, 
when you help someone else's child learn something or your own child learn something like that feeling is so rewarding and and sometimes it's even more rewarding when you're going outside of your own home and supporting others as well as supporting your home of course we know charity starts at home but i think it's important that we do try and serve and extend ourselves where we can to whatever degree we can because there's something to be said for finding meaning and purpose there absolutely i mean with that and that is where so much of meaning and purpose is found is service to other. And that looks many different ways. You know, for example, I know in LA, like there's a, there's a website that I get emails from called LA works and it's all the volunteer opportunities. People can be engaging in both in person or remote, you know, and there's things people can be doing. And so, you know, it's figuring what that is. I, I think that even let's say you work in a company and you lost your job and you still have coworkers and reaching out to them, hey, you're doing okay. Kind of, I mean, people who also lost their jobs too. There are uh, there's a thousand small things we can do. It doesn't have to mean that we're putting ourselves on the front line lines and causing actually more problems when they're telling us to stay home figuring out what those things you can do for others because that is really where the core of meaning and purpose is and and i do think that this is a time when i hope everyone at home is drilling down and saying what what am i about like really what what because this is this has lifted a lot of existential questions for people like you know people are really grappling if this if the whole world could go upside down like that why was I walking on this day-to-day treadmill the way I was? And I know for a lot of people, this has been that wake-up call, which I don't think is a bad thing, frankly. Yeah. And so now it's like, what really, what are you about? And that can be anything. The first time I say, I'm really about family. Like this is, this is everything to me. And they may be thinking about like, okay, how can, what do I need to do in my life to really make that happen? Is it time? Is it whatever, whatever it may be? You know, how you connect with each other, all those things we've talked about. So I think it's a lot of people are being awoken to that piece of themselves when, um, you know, when the rug's been sort of pulled out from under them. And when all the learning happens. 100%. Dr. Romney, you, you've been incredible and so generous with your time today. Thank you so oh, much. Um, I'm so pleasure. deeply appreciative. Sorry for going over time. I've taken oh, so no, much it's totally time. to push back yeah. a million things, but I, I really want to help people learn more from you because I really feel that the way you think through these challenges is, is so, so powerful for people. And so I'd encourage everyone to go and Follow Dr. Ramani on Instagram. She's Dr. D-O-C-T-O-R Ramani, R-A-M-A-N-I. Please, please, please go and follow her on Instagram where she's sharing these insights daily. I know you're doing lots of live streams where Uh you're giving people advice when they're joining and asking questions. And so if this podcast has had an impact with you, please, please, please go and follow up with the work that she's sharing, especially around this time. And on YouTube as well, Dr. Ramani, same name on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, she has over 150 videos on YouTube that you can watch from everything, whether it's parenting through narcissism, of course, which is your major focus, which can be a big challenge right now for people, and so many other useful insights. So please go and follow her and support across social media. And Dr. Ramani, is there anything that I haven't asked you today that you feel is really useful to people that that you feel you should have mentioned. You know what? There is a there is a line like again. I've been reading like you as much as I can, and there was a line by Marcus Aurelius that I because I really think that if people could hold on to this, I mean, and if they were if he was saying this thousands of years ago, clearly it, it's it had some staying power. Is that it's a, it goes like this? Don't let your reflection on the whole sweep of life crush you. 
Don't fill your mind with all the bad things that might still happen. Stay focused on the present situation and ask yourself why it's so unbearable and can't be survived. All of us are survivors right now. And in each moment we get through, whether it's preparing lunch for our kids or looking for a new job or trying to just get through an hour without tears, that is all survival and you will survive it. And I think that, you know, that life will always put challenges in front of us, but it is actually in these moments of sadness and fear that we grow and we grow much more quickly under these circumstances. And so and growth hurts, growth hurts. And, and I, 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 do, I am a believer that this event may very well shake the trees in a way that we learn to be connected. I think we are all going to be so happy to see each other when this happens again and maybe really see what the beauty is of being a human being and having these people around us, no matter how much we're suffering and seeing that our suffering and our joy and our bliss and our fear is being mirrored in every person we come across. And maybe that this was sadly the wake-up call we needed, but here it is, so let's run with it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Romani. So grateful for your time. Thank Thank you so much. Love to your family. And, and like I said, I'm so excited to get together again afterwards. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Face I look to- forward to it. Yeah. This is going to be so useful to people right now. So thank you so much, honestly. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Take good care. 